Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Love Doctor podcast, research-informed advice that can lubricate any conversation about sex. My name is Dr. Leah Tidy, and I am so glad to have you here. Today on the show, we are talking all about dicks. Like, why is erectile dysfunction so common? Can you become dependent on Viagra? And can you still have sex after you ejaculate? To help me answer your questions about dicks, I share my interview with sex therapist and clinical sexual health educator, Paul Nelson. Paul emphasizes that sexual health education should address the entire self and how for many cisgender men, they think it's only about their dicks. But first, today in sex. I recently started watching the TV show Minx, and holy moly, in the first episode alone, there are so many dicks you lose count. The, the premise of Minx is in 1970s Los Angeles, an earnest young feminist joins forces with a low-rent publisher to create the first erotic magazine for women. Essentially, this feminist named Joyce has been working on her magazine for women's liberation since she was a preteen and is finally given the opportunity to share her work. The only catch is that in order to entice people to buy it, it's got to have dicks in it. I'm going to play you a short clip of the first episode where they are doing auditions with male models to be in the first issue. Electric flesh arrows traversing the body. A rainbow of colors strikes the eyelids. It is the gong of orgasm. Hey, we're looking for models for a male nude magazine. You'll be, you'll be butt-ass naked. That means you're dick. If you got a problem with it, the door's right there. Let's do it. Great. Okay, go ahead. So, uh, uh, does this not feel predatory to you? I mean, why do we have to see the thing before the photo shoot? I'm sure it's lovely, you know? Well, I mean, as lovely as they get, right? They're all basically the same, so. No, no, wieners are the same, babes. There's shorties, fatties, long ones, flatties. Playful, shy, jaded, bored. You have seen a dick before. Of course I've seen dicks. I've seen so many dicks. That... I've seen two and a half in very dim lighting. Oh, wow. Panties off. Oh. Oh. Short fatty. That's a fun combo. I highly recommend watching it, not only for the laughs, but also for some very thoughtful dialogue about gender, sexual expression, and what it really looks like to be sexually liberated. And now I am excited to share my interview with Paul Nelson. Together, Paul and I answer a caller's question, as well as the many assumptions that folks have about sex and penises. As Paul says, the more you know about your body and how it works, the more comfortable you feel. Paul Nelson, I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. Like Already, we've been having a fun discussion, and clearly, we have lots to get into. So tell me a bit about yourself and how you got into working at May's Men's Health and in sexual and reproductive health. Oh, I, I, I think, as I told you briefly, this is all a joke of the universe. I really did not mean to get into this field. My first career, I was an opera singer. 
and uh, operas are all about sex, right? So, <laughs> so, and then, and then after, what do you do with a degree in opera singer? You become a boarding school music teacher, right? Because it's like you have a master's in opera. Who else is going to hire you? <laughs> so, so two very worthless degrees. Uh, but I had prostate cancer at 45 and had surgery because at that age, that's about all you can have. And the aftercare with the sexual side effects was so dreadful. When you have cancer, you go online and there are seriously dozens of communities online that you can ask questions. Every, every aspect of care, treatment, recovery. I mean, you can ask anything about the cancer experience. And stupid me, I thought, okay, I'll go find the website where I can ask about all the erection experiences. And I kept looking and looking and looking and everything was selling me pills and pumps and potions and powders and, you know, all that stuff. And I kept thinking, this is ridiculous. And my wife, who's a librarian, I'd keep saying, I can't find anything online about ED. And she's like, Paul, you're using the wrong search terms. I'm like, erectile dysfunction. What else is there? ED, limp dick. I mean, it's like, <laughs> so, so um, finally she told me to shut up and start my own site because she got tired because she did it. She did look, she said, you're right. There's nothing out there. And so 13 years later, we're still the only website for ED uh, on the internet that is not trying to sell you something. Yeah. Kind of mind boggling. Well, I find it astounding where, you know, like we can, we can have definitely conversations around gender and everything else. We're talking about like the, the population of people who have penises in this world. It's a lot of people. And like, how is that not the case that we have more information about it that's not inherently like, hey, buy this thing. There's something wrong with your body. Buy this thing and we'll magically fix it for you. Right. It's still 100% shame because men are taught, anyone with a penis is taught. Your, your sexual identity is based on your sexual function. I'm talking about cisgendered men for the most part. The, the trans population is really difficult because I think it's insulting to that population to assume we know how they want their body to work. Mm. Like I had one, I had a trans woman. She was so frustrated because she kept getting an erection when mm. she got aroused and she didn't want an erection. She wanted, so it's, so I, I really do limit my conversation to cisgender men who want to have a functioning penis right. and everything else. Because again, it's sort of like, we need to honor the trans population that that's its own field of study and to lump it in with everyone who owns a penis wants the same thing. No. Yeah. Uh, does that make sense? Absolutely. No, I really appreciate that, that parsing out of language as well. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, I am talking about people with penises who identify as men uh, who want, or at least want their penis to behave for penetrative sex, whatever that is. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, and, and, and and men who have sex with men or men who have sex with women, the problems are shockingly similar. <laughs> it's shockingly similar. Um, but sorry, what was your question before I got off on that tangent? Oh, the shame. It's about shame. And I, I do you know the term man box culture? Well, the man box. It's, it's, it's a great, it's been around for several years, but it's growing steam. Mark Green, G-R-E-E-N-E -E -E, is a great, he's written the, you know, uh, uh, the little me too book for men and remaking masculinity. But this idea of men were raised with these ironclad beliefs about how they had to behave and express and dress and every aspect of their masculinity had to be approved by the hegemonic male culture to be included as a man. 
And so men have this incredibly narrow view of the world and the universe and their role in the universe. And it's all performance-based, right? I do things, therefore, like guys identify, well, in America, we all do, but guys, especially, I'm a taxi driver. That's what I am. That's who I am. I am a businessman. I'm a carpenter. I'm a truck driver. That's my identity. And so what we do sexually is our identity. Mm. Very much. So if I want to stroke and poke, right, that's that's my identity. And if suddenly I can't do that, I am completely lost. And I've lost in a world of shame because I'm not a normal guy. I can't be on the guy team. Yeah. So it's very shameful, very shameful. Absolutely. Well, and it was interesting about that man box thing. I was thinking about uh, Peggy Ornstein wrote a really good book, Boys and Sex. And it's a follow up. She also wrote Girls and Sex. But as she was writing and she's interviewing, it's mainly like young folks between like 15 and 25. But when she was writing Girls and Sex, she was like, oh, why am I only talking to women about sexuality? Um, because a lot of the time we'll have maybe more open conversations with women. But when it comes to when we're talking to men, it's like, well, you have a penis. It performs in this way. And if it doesn't perform in this way, basically you're SOL. Like you should have like that's, you right. know, so what I found really interesting, you know, as being a woman myself, you know, being very aware of toxic masculinity as a woman, you have to be aware of that in the world, right. but yeah. not having that lived experience. I'm like, oh, how limiting to have your sexuality limited to one aspect of your body and the one way in which it performs. Do you find, are those the conversations you tend to be unpacking with men? Yes. Yes. Well, with everyone. I mean, and I, I'm, I find myself at odds. I'm the turd in the punch bowl, no matter where I go. Okay. So <laughs> in the medical world, I, I just, I, I, I hate the medical world because they can get getting someone in erection is really really easy. Even after they're dead, we can give them a boner. Okay, so the medical world is there. We're done. We got your boner. You're set. What else do you need? And I'm like, are you kidding? That's, you know, I, I, you know, and and I'm always telling every day. I'm like, okay, sex is not about your dick, right? It's not about your dick, and because no one has ever. Again, everyone learns men. I can only talk for men. And my experience is you only learn about sex from teenage boys and porn, right? So every guy's trying to do sex right. And he's trying to do it to gain approval. And when he's done, it's like, I gave you 14 orgasms and three of them were standing on my head. Do I get a 10? <laughs> Ta-da. Ta-da. And I do it. And, and guys are like, they'll say, I'll, they'll say, oh my, no, I really get into getting my partner off. I really love. And I'm like, is it so much that it really arouses you or they can go, I let myself off the hook. And they're like, damn, that's it. They get, they're seeking a validation. They're seeking approval. Do you like me now? Look what I just did to you. Do you like me now? Men in every aspect of life have been taught that their worth is only based on performance in every aspect of their life. You have to earn my respect, earn your income, earn your job, earn the title, earn the degree, earn the winning score, earn the the validation as a sexual human being is through doing it right. Mm. And the writer you do it, the better you are. And the right, of course, is a version of porn. So men are desperately trying to recreate a porn scene. And they think, because no one's talked, they think that's exactly what their partners want. Absolutely. And so men are desperately, and they're like confused when they're like, that's not good enough. And like, stand back, I'll do it again. 
and I will I will pound that vagina in the next week. There, do you like it now? And she's like, mm. no, I'm sore. Please stop. Sore, right, right. Because guys are convinced. You know, I have guys. I have premature ejaculation. I only last 15 minutes. <laughs> People can't see me right now. I'm blinking. Like, ah. So, right? I mean, I, I love it because I, I, this happens. I, I have couples about once a month. I don't do a lot of couple and I don't do couples therapy. It's just sort of like couples education. And I spend time saying, this is what the guy was raised to believe. And this is what your partner was raised to believe about sex. And if it's a woman, I'll say, you know, how long have you, he's ever asked you how long you'd like to have intercourse. And the guy goes, no. And she goes, no. And I asked the woman, how long do you think you'd like to have intercourse? Invariably, seriously, the most I ever had was seven minutes from a woman. But most women are like, four to five minutes is about right. And the guys are like, what? <laughs> and, you know, I thought she wanted it for 30 minutes because that's whatever you point. And then you pull it out, you stick it up her butt. Surprise. She'll really love you then. Right. It's like, it's yeah. like and I tell guys every day, most women are just not that into dick. <laughs> just not, not having it in that way for that consistent. Exactly. It's like and, and men have been taught that the biggest thing you bring to the sex party is your dick. Yeah. The bigger and the harder, the better, right? Yeah. Eight inches and you want it hard for three hours. And and every guy wants, every guy, the most, one of the most common questions, how do I get a bigger load? Mm. Really? Do, you, do your partner want you to come in quartz? Is that what you really like? I mean, you want to have to. The cleanup sounds atrocious. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, I'm going all over the place, but it's like men after prostate surgery have no ejaculate, right? It's a dry ejaculation. The men are devastated and the women partners are so thrilled. <laughs> They're like, excellent. This, that was my least favorite part of, of sex. So then like, let's just move on. Right. Like I can. Exactly. They're like, it's such a mess. There's no more wet spot anymore. There's no more dripping. It's like, oh, this is great. <laughs> oh, uh, so sorry. I'm sorry. I tend to go off on these tangents. No, well, Paul, you can tell that you're really passionate about it and, and that there's so much to unpack. There's about. so much to unpack. It, it's an endless, endless unpacking because it's unpacking a culture. It's unpacking religious beliefs. It's unpacking individual beliefs and self-worth or lack of self-worth Yeah, and identity and trying to be whatever. Yeah. Well, I think the two the two main things that I'm that I'm picking up on, I really would love to hear your perspective on, is uh, the main thing around like performance anxiety. Like if men are taught that everything about their identity is about their performance, about how they perform, and competition is such a huge part of that from yes. such a young oh, age. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh. I get that all the time. Guys are like, every girl I have sex with, I think she's comparing me to every other penis she's ever seen. And they believe that they can't, I can't convince them. And I said, would you please ask the next girl you're with? It's like, are you comparing my dick to other dicks? And maybe some women are, but I'm like the vast majority probably are not. I ask guys, do you compare boobs? You're like, oh yeah, I have to have double D Debbie. They're like, yeah. no, I don't care how bigger boobs are. All boobs are fun. Yeah. Right. I mean, guys are like, I'm like, did it occur to you that your partner might think about your dick the way you think about boobs? I mean, it's just. They're like, okay, it's his penis. I like it because it's his. Yeah. And that is like kind of the hope, right? If you're like having sex with a person, it should be more about the pleasure, not just like what are the physical attributes and how we're going to put yes. them together. It's like yeah. what feels good yeah. and how is that different from person to person and context yeah. to context. Well, and guys are competitive. It's like why men now under 40 will not be naked in a shower locker room together, right? 
Because it's like, oh my God, I don't have an eight inch dick swinging between my legs. And so it's like, and every other guy does. I had one 19 year old who was freshman in college and he was sure he had micropenis because his penis was only six and a half inches long erect. Right. And a micropenis is two inches. Right. right? But he, all his friends on the football team said they were over eight inches and he didn't look like the guys in porn. So he must have micropenis. Yeah. Well, and this gets to the issue of like, if we're not having open conversations around sexual health, particularly from a young age, porn becomes that substitute for quote unquote education. Porn is sex education. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so sad because like, you know, trying to recreate what, you know, exceptional bodies are doing and exceptional experiences that are, you know, like meant, they're meant to get us off, but that's not actually when we're in that physical act itself for 99% of people, you're like, actually, that's not the case. This like three hour escapade of like pounding the whole time. It's like, um, no, exactly. And I've, I have a lot of acquaintances and colleagues who are porn stars Mm -hmm. and I've interviewed them. I was doing a podcast and interviewing i said so gage does your sex life look anything like the porn scene he was like are you kidding i don't have porn i don't have sex like that <laughs> even a porn star is saying that even like- porn stars don't have sex like porn so you know he's like oh my god and then he tells the story like most of the guys are using injections in their penis so it stays hard for six or eight hours and he said we have to do three different positions in every setting and if it's like we move from room to room or we go outside or by the beach or on the wood pile or under the bench or the tree or wh- whatever it is, he said, we're just, and then they quickly edited the, the money shots at the end. And that's a porn scene. They're not having sex. They're just performing. Getting back to your thing about performance anxiety. I always tell guys, who are you performing for? Or for whom are you performing? Are you hoping for applause at the end? Has that ever happened? Has anyone ever gone, bravo, bravo? It's like they landed a plane. You're like, yeah, right, right, right. So, and then I say, are you, you're really performing for voices in the back of your head, right? And they're like, yeah. Hmm. The chatter in the back of their head, which is usually teenage boys telling them about sex, right? There's no better sex expert in the world than a 15-year-old boy, right? I mean, it's like, <laughs> like and I'll say, do you want to go talk to a 15-year-old boy about how to have sex? Well, no. But you're listening to the ghost of a 15-year-old boy tell you how to have sex now. Yes. And so it, it, we're, we, are, we have such a long way to go. Yeah. And, and the med- I'm sorry to be a little ADD here, but the medical world, I'm not kidding. The assessments for sexual pleasure in, for men are the International Index of Erectile Function and the, in, in the Erectile Hardness Score. Those are the two measurements of sexual function for men, all about the penis. Now, women are given a thing called the sexual satisfaction score, which is about the relationship, how you feel about your sex life. But we don't give those to men because all they need is a hard dick. Yeah. And this is what our medical establishment is telling men. All you need is a dick. That's hard. And you're fine. Yeah. Well, it's like realizing, too, how much toxic masculinity and understandings of like patriarchy are embedded into all of these systems. So if the medical system is saying, oh, don't worry, the only thing we need to treat is your dick, but it's not, do you feel comfortable in the setting? What kind of intimacy do you have with your partner? And do you derive pleasure from this experience? Or like, are you really stressed out? And maybe that's not helping the context for you to actually feel sexy and to feel turned on. Like the language is so lacking if we're if we're so uh, penis centric, which I think we also see in porn. It's all about- It's all about- 
penetration. It's all about money shots. It's all that. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's all about orgasm and it's, and, and, you know, and I, and again, I don't work with women, but this is what women therapists have told me is that women have been trained since cosmopolitan first touched their eyeballs, right? (laughs) That your worth as a woman is if a guy wants to screw you, are you hot enough to be screwed? And if you don't, if he doesn't get an erection, it means you're an ugly skank. Yeah. Right. Or if he doesn't want to have sex with you 24 seven, it means he, you're an ugly skank. Or if he masturbates to porn, it's, that's what he'd rather have than you. Yeah. Right. So women have been given this toxic message on the other side that is so harmful. And so both everyone has been given horrible lies about sex because women think, you know, oh, he didn't come. He can't come. He has a hard time reaching climax. It's my fault, isn't it? I'm not hot enough to get them off. And so we are awash in these toxic messages that, that it's just, it's just miserable. So that's, it's so complex. It just goes so far. The tentacles of this belief system are so embedded in our subconscious, in our psyche. We can't, until we really work at it, we can't even peel them out. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about that is that it is, a process, right? Like you're not just going to have one conversation about toxic masculinity, about performance anxiety, and then be like, oh, good. Well, I'm, I'm cured. That's excellent. Now I can move on with the rest of my life. But like you said, it's looking at how it has impacted the narratives that we tell ourselves about how we need to behave sexually. And right. it's, it's one of those things I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine a while ago, and we were talking about masculinity and we're talking about patriarchy and we're like, you know, as a system, we understand that patriarchy like benefits like men, capital M men, like men have more power or dominance right. or whatever. But individually, it is really disempowering and narrow. And those same ideas are impacting like women, non-binary folks in so many of the different yeah. ways. Yeah. Because as soon as you're made to think that like the sexual functioning of your partner is about you and only you and how can I please them? It's like, oh, wait a second, like, how are you supposed to be in your body and experiencing something if you're so concerned about, right. are they hard enough? Are they, are they, how much ejaculate are they having? Like, right. And, and that's, you just hit on something. Men do not have sex in their bodies. Men have sex in their heads, mm-hmm. which, which is, again, that's a problem. And it's, uh, you know, I, I tell guys all the time, you have to get out of your head and into your body. Well, in the Western culture, men are, forbidden to be in their bodies. Men don't talk about feelings. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I tell guys, you know, women use words like, I feel this, I feel this. And guys only use words like, I think this, I think this. And so guys think their way through sex. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so I sit down guys, they said, well, you've been told the intercourse like is the most intimate thing two people can do. Right. Oh yeah. 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 So what goes through your brain? The minute you penetrate, most guys are like, uh, it feels amazing. Right. Okay. Then what's, what's the next thing you think about? I don't want to come or I don't want to lose my erection. Those are the two fears of a guy, right? Mm-hmm. So if you don't want to ejaculate, you think about your grandmother or baseball or whatever, yeah. or the most gross thing you can think about. And you thrust for a few minutes and you think, okay, I'm ready to come. Then you think about your favorite porn scene and you picture the porn scene. Oh my God. And the guy, that gets you off. And we just masqueraded the most intimate experience we were just masturbating in a vagina yeah. and i will tell you that's i hate to tell people but 90 percent of sexual intercourse events are that yeah 
I'm like, you could have just had a flashlight and have done. You, you would have been better off because the, you, you, you know, the other person, person is now left stretched, tired and wet. Yeah. And, and probably wanting more, but not of that. Yeah. Not of that. And, and I tell guys, I said, do you think your partner doesn't know that you're not present? I said, you, you know, they, they think they're going through the motions. They're doing it right. 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 So I, I wonder, Paul, too, I was thinking about like how we really emphasize like orgasm and sex. We, we kind of like make the two things synonymous. We're like, oh, sex equals orgasm. Oh, yeah. And if you don't have an orgasm, it was a failure, right? Absolutely. Well, you didn't, did you actually really have sex? Would we even count it as sex if you didn't have right. an orgasm, right? So I don't know. How do we start talking about sex in a more broad way and then maybe we'll get into like the emotional aspect too but how do we start talking about sex as not just an orgasm oh leah i love you because this is what i do every day so (laughs) you could not have set me up better i start from the beginning like there is no other area of human existence where everyone gets to make up their own definition of sex Mm. you don't get to define what a microphone is or what an isosceles triangle is you don't get to know this is what a sum or this is what a multiplication i mean Right. In life, we have definitions for everything except sex. Mm. Mm -hmm. So nobody knows what they're talking about because they say the word sex and the guys think, oh, yeah, screwing. Right. And his partner may be going, I just like wanted to feel loved for a second. Right. She wanted sex. He goes, oh, great. She wants to get banged in the next week. And so I tell people, I said, we have to come up with a working definition. And it's not my definition, but I, I ask sex experts, the people I really respect. And the best answer I've ever gotten from a guy, Don Lucas is his name, a PhD psychologist. Um, Sex is a form of communication. Mm. Okay. And if we keep that as the foundation of everything, it should be so liberating and so freeing because suddenly it's not about performing. I'm using my body to let this person know how I feel about them in this moment. Right. So I could be exhausted and tired. So we will have exhausted and tired sex. That doesn't mean bad sex, but it's not going to be swinging from the chandelier and it's not going to be 45 minutes of pounding. It's going to be a different energy. Now, silly, goofy, fun, playful, laughing sex is it again, a different energy, but we always talk about sex getting boring and the fact is, yes, if you're doing the same things, you make out, you play with boobs, you get on her, she gets on you, stick it in, she comes, you come there, that's sex. Of course, it's boring. Yeah. But if you're aware of how do I feel about my partner in this moment, then suddenly you then draw on that to how you're going to relate to them with your body. Mm. And the idea that I use my body to touch their body, to touch their soul. Mm. Right? So yeah. and the message can be something as silly and goofy as while you've got hot tits, let me play with them. Right? That's a perfectly valid message. Yeah. But you'd like to think ultimately the love of your life, somebody that you just adore, you want to pour this energy into their body through your body. And then suddenly what you want to tell them every night of the week should be a little bit different because where you are every night of the week is in a little different place, is in a different place. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So, So, it's, it takes all the performance and orgasm and all the function out of it. 
And yes, there will be some days it's like, I am a primal monster right now. And I do want to bang you against the headboard. And that, that has a place. Absolutely. Right. But not every time. Yeah. <laughs> and you make sure this is, this is what I want to, this is what I want to communicate to you. Are you ready to receive it? And your partner can go, oh, that's a little bit too much right now. Yeah. yeah. Right. And we think, of course, sex is genitals. And no, I, I insist. And I hate the differentiation between sex and sexual. Mm-hmm. Because it instantly puts sexual as less than sex. If I give my partner a great erotic massage with my hands and never touch my penis, it's still sex. Because I'm communicating to my partner how I feel about them in that moment. Mm-hmm. Maybe only using my hands. With or without an orgasm, but you always say to your partner, do you want an orgasm? How do you want it? How can I help you? Mm-hmm. And most guys have been trained that it's my job to give my partner an orgasm. Stand back, let my magic dick do its work, and I will deliver an orgasm. <laughs> and, and that's why women fake it, because they're like, oh, my God, I'll just fake it so he gets, so he, he stops the quest. I'm enough. I'll give him the orgasm. Yeah. Exactly. And, and guys are like, if I don't give her an orgasm, I'm a failure because I'm in charge of sex. Mm-hmm. Well, it's creating, yeah, creating themselves as the subject of sex and whoever they're having sex with is the object. You're like, no, no, yes. I will give yes. you the orgasm. And yes. my job is to bring that. Yes. And, and guys, talk, I mean, guys brag about this and people, what's so scary is I hear sex therapists sort of encourage this idea that I, this one sex therapist, she's, 60 years old. And she said, Oh, he was a lousy lover. He never gave me an orgasm. I'm like, well, it's your body. You ask for what you want. Right. It's like, it shouldn't be. And you know, I, it's some, I, I could go on at the, the stories, but I had one guy whose wife made him ask his friends how to give her an orgasm. Isn't that tragic that she was so disempowered, had no voice. She didn't know her own body. He had to go ask his buddies, how do you give your wife an orgasm and try to do it to her? Right. Well, and she has internalized the idea that she is the object of sex. Like I'm supposed to be seen and desired and enjoyed, but not to feel any of that desire or enjoyment. And I'm not supposed to own my sexuality. It's your job. You deliver the orgasm. Yeah. And so I tell guys all the time, it's not your job to give her an orgasm. It's your job to be an attentive lover and say, what would you like? Do you feel like an orgasm tonight? And don't be offended if she says, Ah, no, it's too much work. Right. Or she said, no, I don't need one. And I tell guys, why don't you get to the point where you can go, let's have sex, but I don't need an orgasm either. I call it the tyranny of the orgasm. This idea that we have to this, this punch at the end to prove I had a good time. Yeah. Well, and then also creating orgasm as a thing that happens at the very end. And then once that orgasm has happened, well, that's the end of sex. (laughs) Oh my God. It's again, the premature orgasm, premature or delayed. We stop having sex after he's ejaculated and we don't stop having sex until he has ejaculated. Right. As if the ejaculation defines sex. And it's like, no, I don't care if you ejaculate in 10 seconds, you still keep going and have sex. You may not be able to have intercourse, but you can absolutely have sex. Yeah. You know, what's coming up for me of thinking about, you know, sex is communication is if we're thinking about it that way, I think when people get into like gray areas of like, well, what does that mean in terms of like consent? I'm like, if you're thinking about sex as communication, 
consent is embedded in that because you're checking in with each other. You're saying, what do you like? What do I like? Oh, I love it when you do this. Are you into this? Do you want to stop? Like you're having that dialogue with each other, with your bodies and, and with your voices as well. Like what does that look like? I think it just creates so much more room to have an enjoyable and a pleasurable experience. And I think it kind of clears up a lot of those ideas of like, okay, I only ask consent what when you're about to do the real sex, which is like the penetrative penis and vagina sex. You're like, no, no, it starts way earlier and way after that. Like it's ongoing. Yes. It's just a continual. It's just, it's an extension of, I tell people all the time. And for guys, I really, I try to get guys to let go of the idea of the orgasm because once I get guys, they're like, I'd like you to have sex and not reach climax. Once they do that, they discover they can stay in this arousal haze all day and they can be in this sexual energy heightened all day. Like, oh my goodness, that was wild. I didn't ejaculate until 11 o'clock on Saturday night, right? But all day Saturday, I was engaging in this sexual exchange, which I'm like, that counts as sex. A shower together is sex, right? I mean, how you touch each other. I try to tell couples, um, again, back to consent, find out the three or four ways your partner wants to be touched. Because most people touch each other the way they want to get touched. Mm -hmm. So the the classic is guys are always swatting the butts or grabbing boobs or grabbing vaginas, right? Yeah. And women are like, oh, I'm more than just a vagina, right? So I'm like, you find out how she wants to be touched. If it's the, you know, caress her hair, rub her shoulders, kiss her neck, whatever it is, find out what she likes that you have permission, find out from her. Right. Well, it's, it's again, right. It's how are you centering your own body and your own experience and thinking that that's going to be the universal thing. Clearly I like it. So this part person must like it too. Absolutely. Well, I think particularly as men, they're like, that's, the idea that we've been told in every aspect of their life. They're like, well, I behave in this way. This was my experience of this thing. And hence, this is the way that it is. You're like, okay, but how do you stop and listen and communicate that with someone? Uh, And I can imagine, I want to talk to you too about erectile dysfunction because I've had so many questions about it as well. And really what you were getting at before, how, you know, if it's happening, there's like a blame, like the partner can feel a sense of like, oh, like I let you down. I'm not hot enough. But then the person themselves being like, oh my gosh, like, what do I do moving forward? This is so all shame and guilt. Yeah. And I, I would please anybody listening, the common behavior of, of men with women is men think I can't touch her because I don't want to start something I can't finish. Mm. Every time I touch her, it's a prelude to intercourse. Right. Right. Therefore, I want to avoid pain and embarrassment and shame. If I don't touch her, I won't feel that. So I hear from women all the time. He won't even touch me anymore. What? I, I, I don't care about his penis, but he won't even touch me. I'm like, he's been so trained that touch equals sex. And that's, again, welcome to the larger culture. All touch equals sex. And that's a message men get all the time. Right. From yep. men and women. All touch equals sex. And so, of course, he's not going to touch you because he can't have sex according to porn. Right. So even like something like a like a hug or a caress or a cuddle, anything, it's like all touch equals sex. Yeah. Therefore, all touching must stop. 
That's the solution, right? If I'm to avoid shame, to avoid embarrassment. Yep. I avoid the shame, avoid humiliation, avoid failure. I won't even, I won't even start it. Something I can't finish. And finish means getting hard and screwing and coming. I'm just going to play a question from a caller now and let's see what we can do as we unpack it together. Hey, Leah. Um, I've never done a voice on before, so hopefully this doesn't sound super awkward. Um, when I messaged you, I've been talking to this, this girl I've been talking for several months. Like, we were just friends, and it, but we got along really, really well. And eventually, we kind of decided, like, oh, you know, like, we get along really well. Like, maybe let's try being more than friends. So we decided, we both agreed to that. We've gone on a few dates, and things are going super well. Like, Again, yeah, like, we've been talking for months. We got along, we get along really well, and things are really chill. And then, <clears throat> gone a few dates. Eventually, it's kind of start, time to start, like, getting a bit more intimate, a bit more physical. You know, first night we're at, we're at my place on the couch, you know, um, making out and, you know, it's super fun, super hot. Everyone was having a good time. Like, uh, and yeah, I was like def, definitely like really into it. And then I'm like, okay, like, let's go to the bedroom. So we wander over to my bedroom and keep going, like, you know, undressing each other. It's, you know, it's, it's really fun. Like, like, yeah, it's, it's great. I'm super excited. I'm like, man, like I've been, I really like this girl. Like things are great. Um, and then when it comes time to actually have, you know, penetrative sex, put the penis in the vagina, I, I was erect. And then I, as soon as it gets in there, it is just gone. And I start to spiral real quickly. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm like, oh god! Like she can absolutely tell. I'm getting nervous. I'm like, come on! Like that's not happening. And then like, I, yeah, and and eventually I just like I'm trying to, but it's like it's not going. And like she can absolutely tell. I mean, how could you not? Um, eventually, I just like call it. I'm like, yeah, no, it's it's not, it's not happening. Um, and then she's like, she, and she was great. She was so, yeah, she was just like, Oh yeah, don't worry about it. Like, you're just nervous. It's okay. Like it's in your head. Like, don't worry. Like she was really great. I could not have asked for a nicer girl, but it still just doesn't feel great. And you know, I still like keep making out like, um, I go down on her, you know, so it's not all complete waste, but it was, but it was just like really in my head. And then I was like, okay, first time, whatever, move on. Don't worry about it. it happens. Not a big deal. Um, as well, I think that's when I messaged you and asked you for some help because I was just really nervous. I wanted to make like, you know, I'm, I really like this girl. I want to make things happy. And then I tried again. <laughs> uh, probably like about a week later, it happens all over again, the exact same way. You know, fully erect going into it, <clears throat> super fun, lots of foreplay, feeling really happy. As soon as it happens again, does not work, and I am just crushed again and and again she was great couldn't have asked for she was nice she was like yeah was like don't worry she's like seriously it doesn't matter she's like you're in your head now just like you know like it's it's hard like you know well i mean not but once it's um once yeah once you're in your head about it, it's just so hard i was just getting so frustrated because like man like last thing anybody wants is to have disappointing sex especially so new into a relationship um i ended up <laughs> calling um uh, Going a walking clinic and getting a prescription for uh, Cialis, which, as the other like third time after that, it you know I had took the Cialis like a couple hours before I was um, beforehand, and yeah, and it was great. It worked really well. Um, she didn't know I took Cialis because I was mostly because I was embarrassed, but the sex was great, <laughs> and yeah, and then I'm like 
and the, and the doctor said, he's like, you should try it for the first couple of times and just like wean yourself off. But yeah, it's been really great since. And yeah, I, it was super awkward and super embarrassing. And you think like you're all alone in this, but what I found is as soon as I reached out, like, I <clears> mean, <throat> she was great. She's like, oh yeah, it happened. She's like, you know, it's happened to me, it's happened to, it's happened to my friends. Like, it's okay. Like, and then I reached out to you and you said, oh yeah, super common. And then <clears throat> the doctor who I talked to, he said, yeah, super, super common. He said, especially in new relationships because you're all stressed out on your head. And then once it's not happening, it's, it, you just spiral really hard about it. So he's like, it's totally okay. Very normal. So he's like, yeah, try this, see if it works. And yeah, it worked really well. Um, thanks again so much for your help, Leah. It really means a lot that people are, yeah, yeah that it's acknowledged and that it's, I don't know, I, f- I felt a lot less alone. So thank you. How common is erectile dysfunction and like, why is there still so much stigma around it? It's very common. And it's a nice little thing that it follows the decades. 20% of men in their 20s have ED, 30% in their 30s, 40% in their 40s, up to 70% in their 70s and 80% in their 80s. Wow. So what what decade is the guy in? That's how many, what percentage? So one out of five men in their 20s has ED right? So that's a lot. The, the thing you mentioned, I, so it's really important as I, I tell guys, I'm a huge fan of education, understanding how the penis works. So how an erection works is that spongy tissue, the, the two chambers that fill with blood are, are sponges, right? Or think of it maybe even more like coral, but the little holes in the sponges are lined with the muscle cells like bathroom tiles on a wall. Okay. So one cell deep and the, the muscles are tight all day, keeping the blood out. So a tight penis is flaccid. So these muscles are all tight, keeping the penis good and flaccid. Along comes nitric oxide, and it sets off this chemical reaction inside the cell wall. And these cells all relax and blow up like balloons by the billions. And that's an erection. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a penis that is erect is going to be relaxed and open and comfortable. Okay. Mm. Adrenaline is the fight or flight hormone, right? So when the number one thing, ask any guy who's ever tried it, you can't run or fight with a boner, right? It's, (laughs) it hurts incredibly to try to run with an erection. Okay. So if you have to run or fight, you need that penis out of the way. So adrenaline's number one job before it does anything else is shrink the penis up so you can run away. So anytime you are stressed or anxious or nervous, anything, you're secreting adrenaline. Mm -hmm. The tiniest amount of adrenaline will shrink up your penis to nothing so you can run away. The guy who's like, oh, this person, I'm so into this person. She's hot. I can't wait. (gasps) The minute it's time for penetration, the nerves kick in, the anxiety kicks in. It's like, oh, I can't believe I'm going to do this. Boom, the adrenaline pumps into the blood and that penis is shrunken up and gone. Mm-hmm. And of course, she's going, it's me, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's such a heartbreaking situation, too, where like everyone feels shitty because they think it's their fault. And because they're all, everyone's trying to perform. Again, the, the basis of this is it's all about performance, it's all about doing sex right. Mm-hmm. And so I tell people, I said, the first time you ever have sex with anyone, don't have intercourse, please. Just play. Mm-hmm. And, and whatever level of nakedness you're comfortable with, you don't have to get completely naked the first time you have sex, yeah. right? Just have sex with your clothes on, you know, or if you're naked, then just touch and explore and laugh and giggle and, 
and have a good jar of coconut oil ready. Okay. That's my big thing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, lube is, I mean, it's one of those things as a sex educator, I cannot tell people enough. I'm like, lube is your friend. It is not like, you know, you wouldn't judge someone if they put hot sauce on their potatoes and you're like, oh, what? You just like, you can't eat potatoes any other way. It's like, nah, it's like makes it better. It enhances things. And that's why I like the coconut oil because it doesn't dry out. Right. And it's edible. So that's I because it's edible. Then yeah. it's, you can still bite and lick and suck and nibble and everything else, and it's okay to eat it. Whereas, like a massage oil is going to be like yucky. Yeah, it's, it feels really nice on the skin, but you're like, yeah, don't put that in your don't mouth. put in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, how, how, where were we before this? I got I got way way. I'm sorry, talking to me is like chasing cats, isn't it? <laughs> I am really enjoying it. I mean, we, okay, so we love coconut oil. We're a big fan of it. Yes, but but erectile dysfunction. So yeah. when a guy is anxious, he's going to lose his erection. End of story. End of story. So what happens, we understand sports medicine that batters block. We understand all the anxiety about hitting the golf ball right. And you're like, I've lost my swing. And we've got all those things. Same thing happens. The minute, even if it's a physiological problem, not mental, there's still a train wreck in a guy's brain. Right. Right. So the minute something happens, his brain is just exploded. The next time he goes, even if the physiological problem is gone, he used to be drunk and now he's not drunk. Right. Mm -hmm. The whiskey disc is gone. He's still going to be like, Oh my God, I lost it last time. And his nerves are through the roof and his body's functioning exactly the way it should. I tell guys, your body's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Shrinking up that penis so you can run away. Yeah, because that's what your brain is is happening right now and is affecting yeah. it. And this is what happened to this listener who said, you know, I the first time we did it, you know, lost my erection. Uh, you know, we ended up like making out, having a good time, doing other types of sex. Which I'm like, great. I'm so glad it didn't just like end when right. that happened. Bolt up the door. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You're like, uh, oh, mm, and like run away, uh, even though that's what your brain was telling your penis to do. Um, But then it happened the second time that they got together as well. And so he was like, okay, like, he literally described feeling crushed. And then the cycle of like, I know it happened last time, will it happen again? That's that train wreck I'm talking about. It's just, and, and at that point, so I tell people, I said, we need to understand that an anxiety disorder is a medical condition. Mm -hmm. It's not some, it doesn't, it's not all in your head, right? You're, it's with the self-blame in all these, this terminology, right? Mm-hmm. Performance, anxiety, or it's all in your head. Doctors love to tell people it's all in their head, right? No, your body is setting up. It, it's just your body's working properly. It's not your fault. You're not willing this happen. You're not whatever. So then at that point, yes, the behavioral thing that I would say is stop trying to have, again, it's like, is it Dr. Phil that say, how's that working for you? Right. That, that. <laughs> so this idea of like, okay, I'm going to make out, play with it. Boobs go down on her. She goes down on me. I stick it in. She go, let's get rid of that. It's not working for you. It's too much performance. It's too many high stakes. It's you, you're trying to reproduce a porn scene. Let's get back to play and communicating. What am I trying to tell this person? Mm-hmm. Right. Always go back to what am I trying to do? What am I doing here? I'm trying to make this person feel like I think they're hot. They're fun. They're exciting. They're glad, whatever it is. And at the same time, please, it is appropriate to use medical treatments. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say this now, please. You do not get reliant on the PD5 inhibitors, the Viagra, Cialis, Levitru. You do not get hooked. Your body does not need more and more and more of them. 
That's a lie. It's a, it's a medical. If you knew how your penis works, then you'd know how the pills work and you'd know how the pills don't work. How's that? The pills do not give you an erection. They simply gobble up an enzyme in your body. That's killing your erections. So Mm -hmm. in, in a man's body, there is an enzyme phosphodiesterase number five that is always trying to kill his erection because we don't want erections out of control, right? We always want that dynamic equilibrium. If you remember from 10th grade biology, dynamic equilibrium, all the, the fluid in the cell is in and out, but it's always at the right level, right? So this enzyme is always trying to kill your erection. Cialis, Viagra, Levitra, Stendra, all these drugs, all they do is gobble up that enzyme that's trying to kill your erection. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it only makes it easier to get an erection. It doesn't. And so you can't grow tolerant of that. You're like, oh, well, it deleted my phosphodiesterase permanently. No, it doesn't. If, yeah. the, if, the, if, if the enzyme's there, it gets it. If it's not, it doesn't get it. Right. So you, you don't build up a resistance. And I tell guys, don't stop taking the medication until you forget to take it. Because the minute you go, oh, let me try it without a pill, you've just set yourself up for anxiety. Yeah. This time, if I've done it enough times and been successful, quote unquote, then now I don't need it. Exactly. And I'm like, you, you just outlined the, the, the pattern of bad thinking. It was successful. And if it, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's the old pass fail thing again. So mm-hmm. it's okay to use those medical treatments. Don't be shamed. It's like, it's like, oh, I twist my ankle playing football. It's okay to put Ben Gay on it, right? It's like, it's okay to wrap it up in a, a, a thing. And, and so just use those pills. Again, try the biggest dose, you know, talk to your doctor. But for the vast majority of people, the big doses are perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. The worst it'll do is drop your blood pressure. Yeah, yeah. Which has been interesting too. Like, I think there's so much shame around, like if folks were to like, to take Cialis or Viagra, they're like, well, I better not tell my partner. Like, I'm not going to tell them that I've taken it because then maybe they will think that it's about them or they think that, you know, I can only have sex if I take this thing. And for some reason, and to me, it has similar ideas to when it comes to like using uh, like props or toys or lube in the bedroom. It's like, I should be able to do the sex. I say the sex without any of these things because those are like, cheating or somehow cheating. Oh, yes yes i i get i hear comments drives me nuts from from people are like oh no i want only natural like no toys i want the real thing right or i do hear from women no if he takes a pill it's an insult to me i want a real erection is that <laughs> i'm like i don't know where to unpack where to start to unpack that the realness the naturalness right look at me i should be enough for any guy to get a boner i'm like really no one's just that powerful <laughs> I, it's like it's also not just about you right it's not just about you and so and so the next thing after in pills are the penile injections right the guys inject in the side of their penis at the base and it doesn't hurt it's an insulin needle so it's tiny 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 and um guys have so much shame over that they're like they would never tell their partner that they're using injections and they do all these convoluted things like, okay, it's in the bathroom. I'll excuse myself, go to the bathroom, inject really fast, flush the toilet. Cause you have to compress it for two or three minutes after you inject. And then you come out and then, then you do oral sex and then bingo in five or eight minutes, you've got an erection and she won't know. Right. You do all the song and dance to be like, mm, don't mind the man behind the curtain. Exactly. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is most women 
I talked to and they're like, oh my God, the guy's willing to put a needle in his dick for me. <laughs> but like, but they won't tell me about it. Right, right, right. I'm like, most people are not insulted that you're having to do that. Most people are like, wow. Yeah. Like, because they're like, wow, that seems painful, even though it's not. But, and this idea, again, penile implants. Mm-hmm. Guys, and they are amazing. People have sex all the time and never have any idea. I was just in a magazine article in Men's Health. A famous gay porn star got an implant a couple of years ago. And no one on the set has known that he had an implant for years. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Well, and I think it's kind of, you know, it it speaks to kind of this medicalization of sex that we've had. And, you know, I feel like you and I both have a healthy skepticism of the medical models that we have of being like, you know, they're not going to address everything. And really education, I'm biased, but education as a sex educator, I'm like, is really one of the most important things we can do. A hundred percent. Yeah. And just having solutions, but that don't actually get at the root problem of something, that's that's not going to be the way to go. So I wonder, Paul, like, oh, I feel like we've covered so much ground. I have so enjoyed speaking to you. Um, I don't know, like, uh, not that you condense like your expertise and all of the stories you've heard over the years, but like, what do you want to leave people with to know either about people with penises, men's health? What, what should we know? Um, everyone deserves a working body. Mm. How's that? If somebody's knee didn't work, we'd say get a knee replacement, right? If your penis is not working the way you want it to work, you deserve to have a working penis, Mm -hmm. right? And so I I tell people erections should always be on the menu. They should be part of the the choices. I then spend the rest of my time saying, let's not make it mandatory, right? (laughs) So, So there is an absolute legitimate place for medical treatment of all sexual problems, right? Guys who ejaculate so fast, we can slow them down with medicine. Guys who take too long to ejaculate, we can speed them up with medicine. Again, these are choices, but these should not be ruling our sexual activity. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? So find help. The problem is, welcome to America, sexual medicine experts are few and far between. Mm -hmm. So if you go to the Sexual Medicine Society of North America, smsna.org, you can find urologists who are trained in it. However, most of them are just surgeons to put in a penile implant. So, yeah. so ASECT is where you find a sex therapist or counselor or therapist, except I'm going to say a big but, they come to this with a lot of biases too. Mm. Like I had one therapist say, why can't we just teach men that that's not how their body works? Their body doesn't get erections. I'm like... <laughs> I'm like, what? In our culture, we're able to have control over how our body functions and works and interacts. So we all deserve a sexually functioning body to the best of our ability, right? And the porn star is not the gold standard. That should not be the standard. We want to have a body that's usable enough to express how we feel about our partner. And the lots of different ways that it's going to look, right? It's going to look so different. We were saying before, so different for everybody. And yeah. I tell guys, how effective is your penis at telling your partner how much you love them? Once guys think, I guess not very good. I'm like, well, you can slap them with it, or poke it in them, or rub it on them. But I mean, your penis is not the most expressive part of your body, and yet we've been told oh, it's all about my dick. And it's like, no. When it comes to communicating, your penis is way far down the list. Mm-hmm. Like your teeth, your teeth are better communicators than your dick, right? <laughs> and so, 
if you remember, the reason I'm engaged in activity with this person is to let them know how I feel about them. It quickly becomes less about your dick and reproducible porn scene and much more about, let's just play. Let me make them laugh because I'm feeling fun and I love hanging out with this person. Or it could be, you know, it could be primal. It could be lazy, lethargic sex. Mm -hmm. It could just be whatever. Orgasms are optional. Boners are optional. Everything's optional. Yeah. Right? It's all on the menu. But we don't eat the same thing every night for dinner. So I haven't answered your question, have I? I've done everything <laughs> but answer your question. But you've offered such good insight, right? Like <laughs> so, yeah. The end, first of all, if you're having trouble, get help. There is help out there. The problem is it's going to take you a while to find it, unfortunately. Right. Doctors are not trained in sexual medicine. Urologists are not trained in sexual medicine. They are taught to be surgeons and cut things up. Okay. So mm -hmm. recognize you may have to really dig long and hard. There are resources like I love sex educators because they are more direct into the point of like how to, it's more hands-on. It's more directional. It's not like, let's talk about how you feel about your mother and sex, right? That the sex therapist can get into. There's yeah. a place for that. But most people need sex education. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I 100% agree. Like, well, this is why this is my job. Like, yeah, we don't do, we don't need as much therapy. I mean, everyone goes to sex therapists. No. Yeah, therapy is great. Everyone should have therapy at some point in their life for, you know, six months or 12 months. But sex education, nobody studies sex, right? Nobody learns about sex. And we all think we, we're good at it. No. As Betty Dodson used to say, um, bless her heart may she rest in peace but she used to say paul we told their whole life boys have a penis girls have a vagina we've told kids that from day one and first of all we could have a discussion about the gender issues about that but she said a boys have a penis girls have a clitoris and if we had started with the point of pleasure instead of the baby making part we'd be in a much better place and so so there if you're having trouble please there is help Call Leah. Call me. Go to franktalk.org. <laughs> we have resources and everything that you've mentioned in this interview today, I will have linked in the episode description and on my website so people can go find you, find Maze Men's Health. Thank you so much. Like I, what a joy it is to, to talk to you. And I think, you know, I, I've, I'm so comfortable now talking about sexual health education, but like, Penises are not my forte. Talking about erectile dysfunction, not my forte. So, you know, so appreciate it. No, I think, and I, I tell people, I've only ever had one session with one woman in my entire career. I only do men. So, <laughs> you know, I, I'll move on to women when I get men, I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I'll do the same. I'll, I'll move on to men when I have women figured out. Right? Yeah, exactly. So it's like I stay in my lane. Yeah. The bonus <laughs> are us. So, boners are us. That's what we'll leave listeners with. Boners are us. Maze Men's Health. <laughs> oh, gosh. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Love Doctor podcast. On the next episode, I'm talking to Mark Stevens about his experience with prostate cancer and why doctors are still so shy when talking about anal sex. If you have a question about anal sex or other things, send me a voice memo to thelovedoctorpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can message me on Instagram at dr.leatidy. 
You can also learn more about the projects I'm involved in, what books I recommend, and the amazing folks I have on the podcast at my website, www.leatidy.com. Until then, folks, stay healthy, stay safe, stay consensual.